I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring. Follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Stoke the Fire. Uh, this is episode 31. As always, we're your hosts, Matt Stocks and Jesse Leach. Um, how you doing, Jesse? Yeah, good. Just getting ready to hit the road. Uh, the chaos before jumping on tour for six weeks, but uh, in good spirits. You? How, how you? long till you leave? Uh, As we so, talk now, how long? So tomorrow's my last day home, uh, and then I'm gone. Wow. Yeah. Shit. Six weeks. Six weeks, yeah. Six weeks quarantine style, you know? Just no no guests, no no nothing. So it'll be interesting, to say the least. I'm going to catch up on a lot of electronic music, a lot of reading, a lot of binge-watching and game-playing and exercise. That's pretty much what I'm going to do. And you're going to be playing arenas with Slipknot. Let's not leave that. Yeah, that, that too. <laughs> <laughs> and that laughter you can hear there, ladies and gentlemen, is our yes. very special guest this week, who is a, oh, I gather, a good friend of yours, Jesse. This is going to be my first time meeting him and talking to him, so I'm very excited. Um, shall we welcome him onto the show without further ado? Oh, absolutely. Derek Green, ladies and gentlemen, from the band yeah, Sepultura, man. joins us from what looks like paradise. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just blue screen. It's done very well. <laughs> where are you living, Derek? Where Where are we talking to you from? Are you at home? And if if so, where is it? It looks amazing. I'm home in Los Angeles, California. Had to be. Had to yeah. be Los Angeles, California. How long and have you lived there? Out. I've lived here for two years now. I I moved back to the U.S. two years ago, and I decided that I wanted to live in Los Angeles. Big big move. And so far, so good, obviously, because you haven't yet left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had no choice and, you know, I was stuck like the rest of the world. So, but in a nice place. So, so wait, when you moved there, were you literally um, kind of going right into the early stages of the pandemic almost as soon as well, you'd moved back to America? Is that how that happened? I'm sorry. It's probably actually about three years ago. So, um, I mean, I had been touring so much that I hadn't had time to really spend in L.A. So uh, I ended up like once the pandemic started, I was, you know, I was forced to stay at home and, and really be able to embrace the city, but in a completely different way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what, <laughs> Everything closed. And... That's what we've all been doing, isn't it? Is what do we do now? What do we do? So what have you been doing? Let's start there. How have you been passing the time these last couple of years? Well, nothing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, chilling, hanging out. No, it's, it's been pretty crazy, you know. I mean, up until the pandemic, it was full steam ahead, you know, really putting out a new album 
excited about going out, postponed a lot of touring in 2019 because we kept thinking 2020, we're out. You know, we're going to hit all those festivals that we missed. We're going to concentrate and work on an album. And that's what we did. And then it came out in February of 2020. And we were stoked, you know, in the uh, rehearsal studio, practicing the songs, getting a set list together, getting a great response from the album. I think the best response that I've gotten since I've been in the band, honestly. Um, it was like a great feeling going out on tour with Sacred Reich um, and also uh, Crowbar and Art of Shock, North American tour was all planned in the rehearsal studio. And then, uh, and then it hit, you know, it was just like tours canceled, not happening, going back home to LA and just kind of like putting that all in my head and, and just having to deal with it. So um, yeah, it was pretty intense. And so I just decided once I was home that after a week of sulking and being really depressed, um, I decided that I wanted to come out of this whole pandemic feeling good. So I wanted to stay healthy was number one goal, mentally, physically, you know, everything putting in my body and uh, just trying to get enough exercise and, and working out from home um, and doing a lot of walks and cooking at home and getting reacquainted with many books and films and just taking the positives, you know, from the pandemic, you know, and just really rolling with that and trying to keep that PMA mindset. Love it. I love it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's it's tough to do, man. I went through a little bit of a period where I wasn't doing so well, but uh, I right. also I did the same as you, and I I got healthy, mentally, physically, right. spiritually. Yeah, I think it's either that or you just get worse, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I I thought that was something that a lot of uh, agencies, like government agencies and and people in the health agency, would be pushing first more. You know, like hey, you guys to be getting in shape as far as eating properly, you know, this is the time to do it. You know, there's a pandemic happening and this is only going to help you if you're, you know, doing these, it's going to help you more than anything to live a healthier lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And we know that a lot of Americans aren't the healthiest by any means. And it's yeah. just been going downhill. And so that really made things much worse, as you can see, here with the pandemic um, just because people have pre-existing conditions. And I think that should have been the first thing that they talked about. That's something that you can actually change. You can do at home, you know? Mm. Um, this, I just think a lot of people just didn't realize that it would have such an impact, you know, um, getting sick, you know, like, oh, my health, like oh, I'm a little bit overweight. I have high blood pressure, uh, diabetes. Um, you know, all these different problems. And I don't think people were really thinking that it would have that much of an impact, but it, it, it just hit really hard, unfortunately. And I, that was one thing I just kept in my mind. I was like waiting to, to hear this, but I decided that I was going to take this on and, and, and just do as much as I could, you know, as far as just walking around the neighborhood, you know, I did it an hour and a half each day. It was like four something miles or whatever. And I, I just felt fantastic freeing my mind and just really um, being able to to think clearly, you know, not have all this stuff from the news and the media that was just like pounding down. But it was impossible to ignore that. But I just wanted to go in with a clear mind and a positive mind to really take on all the things that were happening, 
because we all know there were just so many things going on as far as uh, movement, uh, people, you know, the rationalization of people being forced to, you know, face a lot of the problems that were happening. And that's another positive thing that came out of the pandemic as well. Like people kind of like uh, with George Floyd, you know, that just opened up, you know, the eyes of many people more so than any other event that's happened in the past. You know, so this was something I think because of the pandemic might have forced people to really recognize what's going on. I love it, man. You come on here and immediately dropping wisdom and PMA all over. <laughs> love it. That wasn't my intention. I just oh, wanted to good. keep it light. <laughs> I, uh, no, I, uh, I back everything you say, and I think it's really important. It's something I've learned. I mean, I started caring for myself uh, before the pandemic, but I, I agree with you. I, you know, I definitely went through a little bit of a spell where I was depressed, but coming out of it, man, I'm determined. Like, I love the way I feel, the way I think. It's I've changed and I love it, and right. I I, I want to maintain that. You know, no, now that I'm getting ready to go back on the road myself, Absolutely. I'm I'm not going back. I'm not backsliding. I won't. I love the way I feel, and it's changed everything. So that's dope. It's so nice to hear. And you've been on this journey for a while, though. You've been right of your health for a very long time. So I want to get back to that because, okay. you know, we've hung a few times. You're my boy. I got a lot of love for you, but I did my research on your ass. You <laughs> definitely have, you've been connected to the New York hardcore scene. You've been connected to, you know, vegetarianism, veganism, uh, consciousness for a long time. So I, I want to go way back. Um, okay. starting, you know, in Ohio where you, you Cleveland, correct. Is where you kind of got your, correct. your roots, roots Absolutely. down. Absolutely. So, so mu music, obviously I would assume came from your mom who was a music teacher. Um, correct. and then I would assume health came in later on, or was your family always into health consciousness stuff as well? Absolutely not. But my uncle was the first vegan that I ever encountered in my life. And there wasn't that term vegan didn't exist that, you know, that time. So my uncle Steve, he was, I, he would come to the house and bring his own food. And I was always curious as a kid. I was like, wow, that smells funny. You know, I was like, what do you, you know? And then we'd be offering him food and he was like, no, no, I'm good. I got my own thing here, you know? And it was, he was really not into eating processed food or any of that. He knew back in the day, you know, like this is going to kill us all, you know, slow death, you know, in many ways. Um, and so it just really interests me, piqued my interest. And then once I started going to hardcore shows, one of the first shows I went to was Cro-Mags. And they had tons of books at their show. They were selling about Krishna consciousness, about veganism or vegetarianism. And I it just, I gravitated towards it because I really read a lot as a kid. And I just grabbed this book and I was like, oh my God. I was like, wow, this whole religion is based on, you know, uh, a, a vegetarianism. And, and I thought it was so fascinating. And I was like, wow, that's something that I never, ever thought about, like what I'm eating, you know, what's going in my body and where it's coming from. And so that really sparked everything to really try at a young age, like 15, like, I'm going to see if this really does have a difference in, in my mindset and my body if I stop eating meat. So at 15, I stopped eating all meat and all animals. And I remember it was like 4th of July. And the last thing I had was a turkey sub. <laughs> and, uh, and then after that, I just really stayed on that path. I just felt 
the difference is after a month or so, because I was really, I felt really horrible the first month. It felt like I was going through like a detox, honestly. I was like hallucinating about eating meat, man. I would smell it and I would just, you know, my mouth would start to water, like my body had a physical reaction to it. And I never realized that it would be that strong. But once I was stopping, I, I started to recognize these things were happening. But after a month, a month or so, a month and a half, then I, I was fine. And, and slowly I started to learn more about that lifestyle, the plant-based lifestyle. And I adapted a lot of things as far as cutting out, using uh, leather or any animal goods, um, really learning how it has an effect on the planet. Um, I love animals. I always have. So that was like the first thing that really drew me to really stop uh, eating meat and um, and living in that lifestyle. And, and just a lot of things just followed. I just felt really good. As I got older, I just noticed people around me and, and their health conditions at a very young age, they were having problems. And I just always felt good. You know, people were always like, wow, you know, like, what is it that you're doing, you know, to, to, to stay so young or to, you know, because you, you know, you look, you don't look your age. Like I'm 50 years old and a lot of people are shocked at times like, wow, why is that? And I think it has to do definitely with lifestyle, also with music. You know, music, I feel, keeps you really young, you know, in that environment, that feeling, you know, it, it, I don't know, it makes a lot of people I know that are happy in what they're doing in music. It just, you can feel that youth around them, you know, it's like that energy. So I think that helps a lot. But I just always been focused on this, uh, health agenda just because I, I believe it's not only about me like you know being a vegan and being plant-based I think has an effect on a lot of people around me a lot of people gravitate towards uh the ideas and I don't have to like preach it to people you know it's just like hey from example they see what's going on or what's happening in my life or they question they're like hey how, what is it that you're doing and then just explaining to them you know you have these options maybe you could cut out meat once a week, just try that, you know, that would be a big, tremendous change, you know, that actually has an effect, you know, so I'm not the type of person that's like in your face, like you got to stop, I'm encouraging people and, and cheering them on when they do make those little changes, because those little changes can, you know, grow into something bigger. And if a lot of people are doing those little changes, then it has a huge effect. Hmm. Yeah, I love that the the not forcing the the ideal right. lifestyle. I think that's completely. I think that does the opposite of what the per people intend to do when you beat people over the head with an idea. Absolutely. And I think you know, like you said, it's it's how you feel. I think some people might not see the the global impact or the the you know right. the animals, but the difference you'll feel, and I can attest to this myself, the difference you'll feel in your body and your spirit and the way you, everything works, your digestive system, your blood flow, your thinking, your mental health, it really all does fall in line. And I love that you, you are, were inspired by the music as well. That's, that's why I even started to do vegetarianism many, many years ago is because of hardcore music. And oh, it's, really? it helps you like, cause it's counterculture. Really. If you think about being plant-based or be, it's it's a revolutionary way of living you know and and for me at a young age yeah youth of today you know go vegetarian i remember seeing that on shirts at shows and be like wow what's this all about you know i was into punk and hardcore just came along and 
that whole, especially back then, you, you mentioned the Cro-Mags when you get youth of today, like that was a huge part of it. And they talked oh, yeah. it in between songs. It was a, it's a lifestyle and it stuck with me. And even though I waxed and waned over the years, that whole idealism, that the way of life just stuck with me from about it's insane thinking about it because it has this parallel with like church, you know, like going to a show, it's like going to this type of church, you know, you'd have like these preachers, you know, like at times between songs and they're just like, you know, spitting out, you know, all this like different things are just like blowing my mind, our minds, you know, it's just like, wow, wow. I've never seen anything like that. It's, it's intense, but it's funny. Like I, the way that you, you say it, it's just like, it brings like a lot of memories. Like, oh yeah, that's right. Like those talks in between songs, like, yo, you know, really connecting with the audience. It's just amazing. Yeah, I think it's passion, really. That's what it is. That's what it boils down to is people with conviction and passion. And that's what swayed me as a kid. You know, these guys that I thought were, right. were cool for doing their band were saying, hey, try this. And then I tried it and you're right at first, it's very hard and especially you know, I back then, dude, that was it was hard. Not only did people not accept it and understand it, and like you know, family members, like what are you eating them at the family gatherings? I would always, oh, right, right, that. right. But like even the oh, food yeah. products that we have nowadays, and just the awareness of recipes, the shit was hard back then, man. Like <laughs> it was difficult. That's why uh, you know, it was super difficult, and and it was a learning experience, you know, because there's so many more options now. It's incredible, and I and that made me want to do a show um, that I've been working on called Highway to Hell uh, with my co-host, Tanya Callahan. It's because I, I just kept thinking like, wow, this change is incredible. It's happened so quickly, you know, but it's really incredible to see that's happening all around the world. And I really wanted to let people know these changes that are happening and, uh, and, and talk about that on the road and with other musicians and other artists and chefs and doctors and you know wide range of different people you know and, and and it's just fascinating how quickly it's really taking on yeah i feel you man i, th I feel like um where we are now in society and, and you know it's not just veganism vegetarianism that that term you mentioned plant-based i think that's raised a lot of eyebrows and also for <laughs> yeah. you, and also for me you know we're talking about during the pandemic one of the main things i did was I learned recipes. I would watch yeah, me too. people from their homes dealing with like mushrooms has become a huge staple in my diet. Mushrooms to, took over, you know, you have a lot of people who are vegetarian or vegan and they eat a lot of those pro highly processed meat substitutes and that shit just slows you down. I mean, it's junk food really. <laughs> so learning how to like make your own with raw mushrooms, like mushrooms has become a whole, to me, oh, I, yeah. mushrooms are my meat pretty much and I've oh, I mean it's incredible I mean mushrooms are, are there's so many different types of mushrooms you know that have so many uh incredible positive things for your body and they're all over the world you know and and, and the culture of like Europe and Eastern Europe especially you know people go mushroom picking my son is Czech he was born in Prague in Czech Republic and so spending a lot of time there that's like a big deal is going out in the forest and picking mushrooms. And so I had a lot of dishes there, which were incredible from mushrooms. You know, you can do so many different things. And uh, I mean, it's cheap and it's incredible. You know, I learned so much about that. And also mushrooms from Brazil, they're very unique as well. They're in drinks like 
the strength that I'm drinking now, there's mushrooms in this from the Amazon, you know, and, and they've known that they've had these incredible uh, qualities within the mushrooms that are, you know, so good for your body and mind. So they've known this for a lot of times, indigenous people there. And so mushrooms are just, again, I, I fell into that too. I mean, I was always like just been following like different mushroom recipes and things like that, because you can do so many things with them. But I love them. Yeah, man. So uh, music and health, those are your two passions. Right. Um, let's get back to the music. I'm curious. So growing up as a, as a, a child of a, um, a mother who was a music teacher, what was the first um, music that really stirred you and made you feel a sense of like, this, this is something I am starting to gravitate towards or, or really right. like, wrap your head around? What were the early influences for you or things that stimulated you as a kid? I think the earliest influences were hearing my mother play at home because we had a piano. And that was something I remember from being super, super young. Um, and just seeing the sheet music, you know, on the piano there all the time and just drew my curiosity, you know, of like, oh, what's this? You know, like Beethoven and all these different like classical composers and just hearing her play just made me feel incredible. You know, it was an incredible feeling, like hearing that as a child. Um, and she also, my parents were very religious, so they met in church. There's no swearing at home, no drinking, no alcohol, you know, they were really like living that life. And um, so I'd have to go to church and they, my father always had a lot of gospel albums, like these old school gospel albums that he would play. And so I got a, to hear a lot of that and also a live band in church, which was different from my other friends who, who were white and they would go to, you know, a church that I was like, oh, where's your band? Or like a band. They're like, we wish we had a band you know, in our church. And uh, it, was, it was something I grew up with. It was just used to hearing like a slamming drummer, like a sick bass player, you know, and just people losing their mind, you know, spiritually feeling the music you know it's like a and so that was you know starting with that it was easy to move into hard you know because i believe i mean i don't know if people can put those two together but i see there's some similarities you know feeling that you know you have one person to pit like standing up going off just feeling the music you know feeling the holy spirit within them their own type of holy spirit you know and just moved by the music not ashamed to show that you know, and, and that was something I was like, I love this about hardcore. You know, like people just being in the music, just being so overwhelmed. And uh, it's a beautiful feeling to see that and to feel that energy, to be, even to be around that type of scene. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, you feel a part of something. So that was like a connection I had moving into hardcore, just being surrounded by uh, great music, um, music that moves people spiritually, and that grew into hardcore people and their beliefs. And it, it just was an easy connect for me. But it was different for other people around me. You know, I was still, it was like an outcast, you know, for what I liked and, um, and, and gravitating to something that seemed so natural. How was your appreciation of that music received at home if your family were religious? Were they into it or not at all? Because it can go one of they two were, ways, right? Right, right. So 
this is something about religion and extremism and, and things like that. I, I'm always very hypo, uh, like skeptical about certain religions, especially when it's super extreme, um, because a lot of times they end up being so hypocritical. And, and so this is something that I was really uh, amazed by my parents because they weren't hypocrites in, in what they were or preaching, but they weren't really preaching so much to me as just living their lifestyle. Um, so this was something that, uh, you know, I always like, was like, okay, this is, I, I, I respect, you know, your beliefs and everything that you feel. Um, but they never pressured me like so much as like really pushing it, you know, down my throat. And that was something that probably made me respect it even more. Um, but I totally forgot the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It was just, I was just going to ask when you're getting into hardcore music, when your parents find out about the music you're listening right. to, because we had Jesse's so, yeah, dad on the show and he, um, you know, was very, to begin with, anti-metal, punk, rock music. Um, and he had to no, hide the records in the house, right? Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I mean, I, 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 fortunately, my parents were very open to the fact that I had a passion for something. You know, so they were extremely open minded, even though they lived their own lifestyle. So they weren't that was something, like I said, I, I really respected, but I never had that feeling like we were able to practice in my parents' basement. You know, it was even though it was intolerable to them, I'm sure. I mean, they knew nothing about hardcore or metal or anything, but it didn't really matter. It was just seeing us there as kids in the basement, completely into something, you know, very uh positive in a way i mean music is always positive and uh just being open-minded enough to really uh help in that you know like really support that and i i think all of our parents you know as the people that i played with were very you know productive in helping their kids um but i know parents of course that were the opposite i don't know jesse what was your experience with your yeah it was difficult <laughs> at first for sure um, I think they wanted to really have my back, but, you know, and I, I grew up and I, I couldn't cuss and all that stuff. And the first thing I did when I started right. punk was cussing. And then that was like, not cool. And I just it immediately went to it. And I remember my dad reading my lyrics. He took the lyrics I was writing for my first band. It was like, he read it out loud back to me. And he's like, how does that make you feel? like, just trying to like make me think about what I'm saying. Okay. You know, because being a son of a preacher, man, it's like he, his reputation's at stake, too, for what his kid's doing. So I definitely met some resistance. But because of those types of things, it did make me sort of like really pay attention to what I'm saying. And if your message is being overshadowed by your cussing at that age, I realized, OK, I'm just going to leave the cussing out and just get right to the message and leave all the F-bombs out. And that's what I did for majority of my career. I don't write right cussing in my and i the messages get across so it was bittersweet but yeah they eventually had my back i think once they started to see i had some success and they started to see that the lyrics were positive you know like you said right what, what was their first show that they saw you ha huh. my you uh, that? Well, my, <laughs> my dad really didn't go until kill switch and was, so that's okay. like pretty far up in the lineage but i had been through like 20 you know random punk bands hardcore bands uh, my mom supported my band Corinne, which was the first band that I, you know, started to play in front of 200, 300 people. And she would go, um, and I was 16 at the time. 
So wow. she, yeah, so she would go and she would sit up on the bar and the two bouncers that were friends of mine that bounced at Club Babyhead, they would stand next to her. So she was on the outskirts of the pit and she's right. like a little Italian lady. She's like, you know, five, two, five, three, uh, just up and just sitting there supporting her son. Yeah, she would go and and go around the crazy shit. And that's back when hardcore was still dangerous, you know, like when it was just right. weird. So I give yeah. props to my mom for that. My dad took a little while to come around. <laughs> right, right. That's amazing, man. I was listening to your band Outface earlier, Derek. Love it. Oh, wow. Thank you. What's the record called? Friendly Green. Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a great name because that was my father's name. And everyone oh, wow, in the right. Band okay. Was, yeah, my dad's name is Friendly. And uh, he's actually Friendly Junior. So my grandfather was the first Friendly. And then uh, they had like really uh, different names. And I was always shy to talk about that as a kid like people are like oh what's your dad and they're like are you serious and they're like that is so cool you know and i have my uncle my uncle's name is ivory it's like ivory green i was like whoa that's so badass you know oh, as great, i got yeah. older i was like these are great names you know and, and very unique but my father really took on that character as being friendly he was like one of the friendliest people i've ever met in my life you know i never saw him enraged or out of control or angry only once in my life. And that was when my friends and I decided to build a half pipe in my backyard, my parents' backyard. And uh, I didn't, I guess at that age, I didn't really consider our neighbors. And uh, we had these really bitter neighbors that lived behind us. Um, and once we were skating, we had the ramp going um, they called like a city inspector and they had him come because you need special papers to build a ramp or any construction in the city where my parents live. It's like very strict. Um, and I, of course, as a kid, we didn't have any of those papers. So like, yeah, you got to tear it down. And it was like, wow, you know, after we, you know, put in all the labor and built it and all the joy that it brought, you know, it was just like, rip the you know like rip those dreams down and and my dad was just like livid he was just like couldn't believe it he was just like oh <laughs> you know, like, but uh that was the only time but he really took on that name but yeah that was the album title friendly green and then i i didn't smoke weed or anything but then i had like weed friends you know like pothead friends were just like yeah, that's so badass, you know like <laughs> friendly green buds bro like yeah and i was like it's nothing to do with that you know <laughs> it has those kind of like more mellow scar moments as well that bands like sure. so that added to the you know too. yeah they were just like i get it friendly green bro friendly green <laughs> and i was like all right you got it <laughs> so how many bands yeah. were you in before um the sepultura uh, sepultura opportunity sorry comes around and how how does that come about you're in new york right kind of in the hardcore scene there's another band yeah. after Outface, mm -hmm. kind of more of a crossover group. Right. It was like a really trying to figure out where to go. You know, I was Outface. I was so young when I, when I joined the band, it was with a group of friends um, growing up with them and going to high school with them. And then deciding to move to New York uh, uh, with the guitarist, who's uh, Charlie Gariga. He ended up playing in Civ and he also plays with Judge. Um, two 
awesome hardcore bands from New York. I love Charlie. So, Charlie's, a, Charlie's a great dude. Charlie's, Charlie's a man. I mean, I've known him since I was a teenager, and he's, he's the best. You know, he's the same. Salt is a human being. I love that dude. Shout out to Charlie Gurriga. Yeah, man. And so uh, moved to New York with him, and we're like, yeah, let's, let's get this going. We had done as much as we could in Cleveland without base, opening up for a lot of different bands coming through giving out all the demo tapes and everything. And it was just, we had so many friends from New York. So we decided like, hey, let's go up there. We have an opportunity to try something new. And so we had a band called Overfiend. And this was also with this guy, a friend of ours, Sammy Siegler, who played in a million hardcore bands um, from Youth of Today to um, rival schools to so many different bands in the hardcore scene. and so we had a friend of ours, Sarah, who played bass. And I met her because of John Joseph. It was like, yo, Sarah's old school. She's from back in the day. You got to get Sarah. She's totally down. And, and Sarah's mad cool. And, and, and then we also had, oh, God, it was, such, it, it was such a short time that it lasted over Fiend. I think we opened one show for Sick of It All and Shift played this band Shift. And, and then those guys, Charlie and Sammy ended up doing Civ. Like they, they ended up pursuing that. And so I, I had to start my own thing. And so I started a band called Alpha Jerk while I was in New York. And I didn't play guitar or anything, but I wanted, I was so motivated. Like I have to do something. I'm going to buy a guitar. I'm going to buy a four track and I'm write my own stuff, you know, like to sing over it. And I ended up playing with Sarah. We got some other members. And it was difficult, you know, I was working at bars, balancing. Um, we were opening for, I think we did a few shows with Lunatics and just playing like local stuff in the scene in New York, in that area. And it was great because all the bands at the time had such crazy different sounds, you know, and, and, but everyone was supportive of each other. So I was just working with that, really trying to get that going. It's difficult, you know, and, were you managing and then, to survive and pay rent and stuff? Or were you staying with friends? Like, how was that working out? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the first jobs I had when I was in New York was I worked as a system manager at a store called Fat Farm, run by Russell Simmons. And so I was, I ended up being a system manager there. And that also had to, a link to hardcore and everything because my sister's friend, who was a photographer, um, was really into hardcore. And he was the one that was like, hey, you can work at the store, man. I was like, what store? I'd never even heard of it. My friends from New York are like, holy shit, I can't believe you're working at Fat Farm. That's hilarious, you know? Like, and um, it, was, it was a trip, man. I mean, it was such a great time uh, to be in New York. And it was an introduction to a lot of different things, you know, a whole different scene, like the whole hip hop world and everything. But at the same time, I was working there, which was a great job. It was like full salary, health benefits, paid vacation like russell really treated the people working there well um did you have a lot of interaction time. with him was he like involved yeah, in day-to-day running the store? yeah <laughs> i mean he was all over the place because he was doing so many things he was getting into script right you know like production because wanting to do films um i remember that he had that division he had rush management going on so i had to go to the office back to the store to his place drop off stuff he was starting like baby fat. So I had to like do these like weird deliveries at the end of the day, or it's just like, hey, 
you know, takes us over to like Naomi Campbell and Chrissy Turlington, you know, they had just, you know, it was supermodel time, you know, that was what was going on. Uh, the first supermodel and just like take over some baby fat stuff to them. I was like, are you serious? Like, I really got to do this, you know, like, and my friends would just be laughing, you know, like, oh, we can like, um, and it was just a chaotic time. You know, you had people coming in the store that I never imagined would come in. There was even no fat farm, you know? I mean, it was just like Joe Montana, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, um, Seal, Heidi Klum, Penny Marshall, Biggie, you know, Redman, LL, you know, all just having interaction with these people, you know, for a short period of time, I was just a manager, but just like, it was a trip, you know, it was just like blowing my head. Um, what are you like in your sort of early 20s at this point? How are yeah, you? Early 20s. What an exciting time. 20s. Yeah. And, and so at night, I would go back home, live in Lower East Side, and I would work door at these bars, like intense bars, you know, a lot of fights, a lot of drug activity going on in the community with bodegas and stuff. It's still kind of rough. And, um, but working these, you know, at night. So I had two jobs. You know, I, I was really able to get by in New York, but um, the opportunity came about just being in that scene and being around people that are still involved in music and everything really helped. Um, Mike Gitter was kind of like the connector and, and getting me the, the idea in my head that I should try out for Sepultura. Mike Gitter is an A&R person that I'd known for a really long time. Um, he had just started working at Roadrunner Records. So he had came to me with the idea. He was always going to shows. I'd always see him at shows, checking out bands. And he came to me and he was like, hey, you should try it for Sepultura. They're looking for a singer. They have one song with no vocals and they're giving it to everyone to try out. And he's like, I think you should do it because you're different and they need somebody that's different. And um and, he's, and, he, and he felt that I could do that. He had seen Outface and he felt that they needed something new and they wanted something new. Um, so that was really the, it sparked everything in my head. I wasn't a massive Sepultura fan. I, was, I wasn't fanatical. I, I knew two albums well, and that was Chaos CD and Roots. And I thought those albums, and, and, but the album that really got me started was Arise. That was the first thing that I, that a friend introduced me to. But I didn't know like the names of the people in the band. Um, I didn't know uh, who did what. I just really loved listening to it. And I was just like drawn to Arise. And then KSCD, I was just like, oh my God, this is sounding more and more like a hardcore album. And, and, and it was just really something different. I felt that they were really evolving. But I wasn't fanatical, fanatical. So anyway, I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to try this. You know, like I, there's, I have nothing to lose. I think I love what they do. I never met them. This would be a completely different opportunity to step out of my box playing with people that I, I'm not friends with. Um, and so everything was just like, yeah, I got to do, I got to try this. You know, I really, you know, I, I should try this. And that, you know, I did this song choke um, and, and, did my version of that song. That was a song they gave to me. It ended up being choked. Um, and so you got to remember at this time, there's no, like really no internet. 
So it wasn't like going online and checking out, you know, I didn't know how big the band actually was. <laughs> so I, I, there was no way to look at stats online, you know, it was just like word of mouth, you know, like, yeah, pretty big, you know, and I was like, oh, all right, let's do that. So I think that helped. And not yeah, being so nervous. As well, where you missed out on like fan reaction, right? If, if somebody in that yes, position did totally. it today with Facebook and Twitter <laughs> the way it is, you'd have to read all of that. And that would be, I think, quite a tough, it was, you know, obviously a tough role to fill anyway. But I think with social media on top, you, you dodged a bullet there. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, you're absolutely correct. I had no, you know, interaction with anyone in my ear. You know, it's just like, okay, I'm just going by word of mouth, talking with people, you know, like the person that told me that helped me do the audition as far as creating the tape that I sent to the guys was this guy named Davide and Davide played bass in a band called Orange Nine Millimeter. And uh, he's an incredible musician. He had tried out for Sepultura before I did. And he was a fanatical fan. Like he knew every song, he played guitar, even looked a little bit like Max, you know? And so the record label, like, this is the guy, you know, we're going to get, you know, like, a, a, we should get a clone is what they were thinking. But Davide was such a fan. He was just so stoked to meet those guys, go out there and jam. And they told me, the guys in the band were like, yo, we, we want you to play in the band. Like, and he was like, I don't think so. He's like, it was great coming out here and trying out and doing all these songs and, but it was overwhelming to him. And at the same time, he wanted to create a studio and be a producer and be at home. So for him, he was like freaked out. He was like, oh my God, it would be too crazy. But he knew how big the band was. Like he knew the impact that it had all over the world. And so, but I was, you know, I, I only knew like what was going on in the States where people were like, yo, Sepultra, they're awesome. You know, I love the Sepultra, you know? And so, <laughs> I had no clue, you know, like how big it was, but he had an idea, but he helped me, you know, put it together. He was like, oh, the guys are super cool. They're great. And um, he went to San Diego to do the audition. They were still living in the U.S. They've been living in the U.S. for probably eight to seven years. Um, and right when I did the audition, they had already just moved back to Brazil. Um, they just felt that they wanted to get back home. You know, with the split and everything, they just felt they want to get back to their family and get back to the, the roots of where they're from. And so I had to go to Brazil to do the audition. So they were, you know, I, I got the tape in and then I got a call from, I think it was Igor. And he was like, hey, you want to come down to Brazil and, and meet everyone and try out? And I was like, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm going to get prepared. You know, I was thinking probably a month or two months I'll be down there. And he was like, yeah. So at the end of the week, we'll send you a ticket and we'll, we'll meet up. And I was like, oh my God. And so then I, I knew nothing about Brazil. I'd never been there. I never heard Portuguese spoken before. Um, I went to the library, got out a book about Brazil or South America, you know, cause I didn't have the internet and I didn't have the internet. And so I had my, that's how long ago it was. I feel old talking about this. It's like I had my book card, you know, my library card. <laughs> it's so crazy. And so there was like reading about it. I was like, oh man, this is going to be amazing. Even if I don't get in the band, I'm going to South America. I'm going to Brazil, you know, for free. <laughs> so got on the plane, met Paulo. Uh, he was the first person I met and just really hung out with them for 
the first week, just going to football games, meeting their family. I stayed at each person's house. And so I guess they were kind of sessing me out with their crew, everyone, their family, you know, just saying like, what do you think of this guy? What do you think? No, no, no. I didn't feel that. I just felt really at home and very natural, but I didn't realize that was kind of what was going on, which totally makes sense. And then the next, but it was the realization was like, man, these guys are crazy big was when I got to Brazil and walking around with them because everyone knew who they were. They were yelling out of cars and screaming like, oh, Sepultura, you know, and crazy malls or whatever. You walk around like everyone, young, old, just people knew them. And I was like, oh, this is kind of insane. You know, like they had to do a lot of autographs, no cell phones yet where people taking photos, just a lot of autographs. And a lot of like, if you had a camera on, you're like, got it. You know, that was it. So it, it was insane, you know, watching, like that was intense, you know, being around that. And then it was like, okay, now we're going to go in the studio. You're going to try out some new songs. We're only going to play new songs. We're going to play it. And then you're going to make up something to go on top of it. Here we go. Okay, now you sing something. We're going to play the song again. I was like, what? Like, are, are you serious? Like, so I, I was really nervous. So it was really horrible the first two days, three days there. and then. I went to the beach with Paulo and he, I was talking with him and he's like, Hey man, if you really want this, you got to just break out of your shell and just do what you do. You know, just, this is your time. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So we got back and, and what really loosened me up was like, I was like, you guys know bad brains. They're like, yeah, we love bad brains. And so we did a bad brain song and I was like, yeah, man, it's all coming back to the hardcore open, you know, it opened me up and then boom, I just, things just changed. You know, I just felt better. I was like, okay. This is, and they felt better as well. They're like, wow, this guy is great. And uh, I mean, I don't know if they were saying, thinking that or whatever, but they were really like, we can do, you know, we can really see ourselves doing different things in the future. Because a lot of the takes they were getting were people imitating Max, the old singer. So they were just trying, and that's what they didn't want. My tape, I had like hardcore emo type stuff from Outface, my first band that Igor had listened to, and it had nothing to do with metal. But that's what they liked. The fact that I had my own style, my own personality, I was coming from a different world. They were open to that. And they're like, that's what we need. And they felt like, oh, he can do melodical stuff. He can sing too. So this is another plus that possibly the music is evolving. We can do something. So that, you know, helped, you know, it was like really like a path, you know, leading up to, to being in Sepultura started with outdates, you know, it really started with being in a hardcore band, just, you know, all these different things, like kind of led on a path to getting into Sepultura. So I got a question I got to ask, because I dealt with this myself, you know, um, okay. replacing Howard Jones and Killswitch, you know, and even though I had started the band, I mean, the... Right. The pressure was immense, and unfortunately, I did have social media around me, which sucked. But um, uh, the press—how was it dealing with the, pre especially down there ooh. in Brazil? Because their Sepultura was the beloved; they were the Metallica of Brazil. You couldn't get any right. bigger at one point. So, for you rolling into that, like, how did you deal with the press? Like, that must have been insane. It's a good question. Um, so once I got in the band. 
the most accepting fans were from Brazil, which I couldn't believe. You know, I, I wasn't expecting that. But they really were, they loved the band so much that they wanted to see it continue on. You know, they were, they, you know, it was the band, the idea of the band, how they grew up with it, you know, they just wanted to see success no matter what. The, tr the true fans are just like, okay, this is a big change, but we're still with you. And so that really helped. And in, in the process in my head where having that support, you know, shortly after, you know, it's like people were just like, oh, my God, like, you know, it's showing the support, you know, walking down the street and everything like that. I, I mean, once I got in the band and we start touring and everything. And after that whole first album cycle, we're like, OK, let's work on the second album. I decided I'm going to move to Brazil. And so that's when I, I really felt like a lot of the press a lot of the opinions of the people there, but they were really kind, you know, they were kind in a way that they knew that the band needed to get to know each other to start this growth. And they took all the positives from it and ran with it, you know, because they didn't want to make Sepultura look bad. You know, they love the band. They always want to keep it, you know, in the position of respect and, and, and it's a beautiful thing. So I felt that the press were very positive. And, the U.S. they were probably the most critical and the harshest, without a doubt. And then what, Europe, even worse were... than the U.K. <laughs> yeah, the U.K. were actually pretty. It was pretty good because they had a they, they loved the fact that my name was Derek. And they're like Derek. It's such a proper name, and he's in a metal band. They're like, this is hysterical. Well, my, my like best friend's time. called Derek, and my granddad was called Derek, and other than those two and you, I've never met another <laughs> Derek. It's a proper old-school name. Absolutely. So I got a lot of that, and in Germany, it's a name of this, it's an inspector, Inspector Derek, and it's a TV show, and it's like an old white dude, and they're just like, ah, this is just so funny. Your name is Derek, and they're the inspector Derek, too. <laughs> so, all <laughs> laughs all around. I was like, all right, great. I love my name. So that helped, I think, in the press. But they were definitely more open-minded in Europe. They were just like, kind of like, okay, let's see. Let's see what you got, you know? So... Germany was always like very good and all, and all the other places like really kind of fell into place as far as uh, being open-minded and, um, and, and critical at times, but take, again, taking the positives from whatever we were doing. You mentioned something really interesting a moment ago about um, Brazilians being true fans and wanting the bands that they love to succeed. Um, I do find with, you know, Western countries, the UK, the US, ah people who call themselves fans do everything but act like a fan when their bands that they like do something new or different or outside of the box i'd love to get both of your takes as people in bands on why you Good think question. it is that western countries perhaps have a different relationship with the bands that they love than say a country like brazil where they do actually just show this unwavering undying support no matter what whereas our countries are a lot more like fuck these guys they've changed it i fucking hate these guys now and it's like well i thought you liked the band so therefore you'd like maybe them doing something new but no why do you think that difference exists is it a cultural thing jesse that's, that's, it's, yeah, it's really a good question. It's a great question. Yeah, yeah. I I would have to say that they are fanatics, but it's I think there's a certain ownership 
that people uh, of those countries take where you become sort of their, especially when you first get into a band and they're not quite so big, it's yours. I think there's a real ownership to it. And I even remember I was like this as a kid too. Like I, when I got into punk rock and kids were make fun of me and then they suddenly it became cool and people wanted to know. I was like, no, this is my shit. I'm not making you a mixtape. No, fuck you. So maybe people just, they, it becomes such an obsession and such a huge part of their lives that if you fuck with it, then people are going to be upset for whatever reason. And I definitely received a ton. It's so nice to hear that you got a good reception. Fuck you, man. I, I had to do with so much shit. I mean, of course, there were, people that, there were people that were stoked I came back and I'm going to perform the live just breathing shit. But, you know, for me, it was like performing the Howard material. It was years of me like battling to like stay positive and stay in it and like not posture. But um, yet the fans are just different and i i didn't know this either because i had not really traveled the world so much until you know taking over kill switch and seeing how different audiences were and then finally getting down south to south america right. where i was like whoa the love <laughs> that they have just, they like you said they embrace you and it's beautiful but yeah i guess it's just a cultural difference too and i think maybe that has to do with you know the distribution of wealth i think the united states and the uk kids are just they have money they they live a very Absolutely. privileged lifestyle so they take a lot of shit for granted so maybe that's yeah. it the, the poor countries that i've been to are the ones that are like whoa they stand outside your bus for 12 hours with this piece of paper and once you sign it they have tears in their eyes and thank you in the village i come i mean i can tell you countless stories of that from south america where i'm like my life is altered from talking to these fans because they live in such poverty so maybe that's it. Maybe there's just a difference of classism as well. I, I think you hit the nail on the head on that. I mean, uh, I, I agree. I was going to say that, you know, living there for 20 years, I noticed this, um, you know, I, I didn't realize like how much poverty, you know, actually exists there and also the rest of the world. That was something that was like mind blowing from traveling with Sepultura and going to so many unique places because of, of where the band comes from. I think that helped in opening the doors to being able to do a show in Cuba, for example, or some different places in Brazil in certain cities that um, even Brazilians have never gone to. Um, and so that seeing how the world is just so, I mean, a majority of the world is just really poor. Um, and a lot of times things are taken for granted in, in, in the, the West. And yeah, I think that, that is a big difference, you know, people. And also there was a dictatorship that was happening in Brazil and you weren't, you didn't have accessibility to, to music. Certain artists had to flee the country. Um, the same thing was actually happening in places like Eastern Europe as well. You know, my, my ex is uh, from Czech Republic. And, and so talking to her father, who's a huge music fanatic, heavy music, um, was talking about how he had to go to Germany to get albums. You know, and, and just and so when you're deprived of something that you love, you know, I think that it creates that intensity of where you're just like, oh, my God, you know, you're going to appreciate once you have it in your hands, you know, so much more. And, and especially with Brazil, once that dictatorship ended um, and then Rock and Rio happened, that opened the door to people like, finally, you know, we can see these bands live. And, and that just really kickstart the country. And. I think a lot of places in Latin America 
um, once shows started going there and started happening, you know, that love, like they weren't spoiled. They weren't able to see like all the shows like we were in the States passing through all the time. So it, it becomes a big deal to them, you know, and it, and it stays with them, you know, for their entire life. I think the first time that Triple Tour went to Indonesia, I wasn't in the band, but I always hear stories from all the guys about how intense that was. Like, it was like the Beatles when they got there. You know, it was just like a stadium playing there and uh, just people flipping out. And, and since then, people never forgot that Triple Tour is one of the first like metal rock bands to ever play there. Um, they still go to the shows now. They're still extremely fanatical and that love, they just don't forget. And the same with South America, you go there, you play once, you'll have a fan base, you keep going back, they love you even more, you know? So um, I think that lack of being able to see shows and accessibility really, you know, revs up their passion. Yeah, I think we got spoiled for sure. I mean, I can remember going to three, four shows a week in the 90s. Yeah. Just constantly going to shows. And I think that's what produced the mentality of the cross your arms and like, you know, what do you kind of attitude that you see a lot? I mean, especially, you know, when you're on tour as a younger band, you knew rolling into New York, you got to like up your game because the motherfuckers are not like accepting. If you suck, they're going to let you know, which I think makes you a better musician and you definitely get, you know, a thicker skin and a harder edge. But yeah, I'll never forget that. You're right. Traveling is everything. Honestly, that changed my entire, not even just oh, yeah, me oh, as, yeah. as a musician, but as a human. And you see Absolutely. these people who live with nothing and they've got this one cassette tape or this one CD that they got at the bootleg market, you know, and it's like their favorite CD and it might be like Pearl Jam. And they're just like, I love Pearl Jam so much. It's like the <laughs> only one I've had for 10 years. And they're living in a little shack, you know, that shit changes you and, and, yeah, I can imagine living in Brazil for, for 20 years. How was, what a difference. It must it's like culture shift. So you went from oh, yeah. Ohio to New York to right. to Brazil? Uh, well, right when I joined the band, I my ex-girlfriend was she was like, "Hey, it's over." I was like, "What? Really?" Well, like, I've just joined this massive band. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, "No, we didn't have to, you know, like struggle." I mean, we're like struggling, but it was like, "Now things are going to get better." I don't know. It just ran its course. I was really young. We were both young. Um, I didn't have the time to even to sit and chat about it because things were happening so rapidly. They were just like, okay, we're going to do a promo tour. Then we're going to do a world tour. You know, and back then we did promo tours where it was just like you do a tour of the world, just press. So this is when I got my introduction to like world press. And I was like, oh, this is what people are thinking. So it was it wasn't so accepting like Brazil. So it was really intense to hear that, especially to be around those guys that were so used to people like kissing their ass. You know, right when I joined the band, like with the root stage, it was like the pinnacle as far as success and fame, like touring Black Sabbath, you know, like selling a lot of albums. I don't know if Roots was the most sold album, but I have a feeling that it was you know, kind of breaking a lot of barriers with the sound of Roots, you know, becoming more mature in their style of music, uh, adapting, you know, things from their their own element, their own life, you know, giving it, the band more of its personality, which has intrigued people all over the world, you know, it's like timing, sound, everything just in play and then gone, you know, like 
so it was intense to see that and go on this world promo tour where we would split up the world. So Igor and I would take on part of the world and Andreas and, and uh, Paolo would go to other places. And then we would meet in certain countries at the same time. But it was a trip, you know, it was like, oh, Igor and I are going to Australia and Japan just to talk, you know, and do all the press and everything. And it was intense. Like people were just very critical. Like, oh, what do you think about filling the shoes? Like the same question. It's like, I don't know. I was like, I don't, I don't know this former singer. Like, you're asking me questions that I have can't you met answer, him yet, I Derek? Have... have you met him to this no. day? Still not. Never. Wow. Never. Wow. No shit. Yeah. So it's like people think that I have like I was like I can't really testify to anything because I've never met him. I can't talk anything on it or anything. And so it's just like, I know his brother very well and other people in his family, which is weird, you know, sister, mom, you know, it's just like people, you know, family from Italy and Brazil, you know, and they were all extremely uh, very nice people, very cool and loving, you know, it's so it's just, it's a weird thing, you know? Um, so a lot of the same questions and everything and, and, and people just kind of like arms crossed waiting for the tour. Um, and it, and it was rough, you know, it was definitely rough as far as like, you know, you had to have really thick skin. And so I wasn't really used to being uh, criticized for everything, you know? And so it was just, it was a little rough at first, but then it just really wore off because a lot of things were happening that never happened to me in my life. So it was easy to brush off. I was like, Oh, we're going to do, you know, open up for Metallica in South America. It's like, well, you know, the last thing I was thinking about is like, what's the press, you know, what's this magazine saying? I was like, no, we're going to open up for Metallica in that goddamn stadium. You know, that's what was going on in my mind. So when people would ask me these questions, like, what do you think about it? Like, I don't know, man. I was like, this is what's happening. You know, it's like we're playing at River Plata Stadium in Chile, you know, and and in Argentina, we're playing, we're playing you know, like in Sao Paulo Stadium, it was like, I don't know. I was like, that doesn't matter. I was like, this is, this is my reality. You know, it's like, we're doing a lot of incredible. And then it's like, oh, by the way, you're going to do a tour with Slayer. You guys, Systems of a Down is going to open this tour. First album, Systems of a Down. I was like, oh, I, I got that uh, CD. It sounds pretty good. Like, this is going to be awesome. It was like, the last thing I'm thinking about is like, I'm thinking about, dude, I got to be on stage. I got to be on point. I got to have these vocals down. We got to have a great set list. That's what was going through my mind, you know, all the time. I just want to be better at what I do. I want to keep better, get better and better. The only thing that really I could worry about, you know, everything else is just like, whatever, talk, blah, blah, blah. But the shows are good. Things are happening. We're That's doing a I'm lot of this. Buddy, just quickly, is like the shows themselves from the start. How was the fan responses? And did it take you long into the set to have them on board? Was it an immediate thing? Did it vary? What was that experience? Yeah, thinking back, it would definitely take into mid set. And we had to do a lot of old songs, you know. And so that was, it was a little weird. But I think a lot of bands did that. You know, like they would they would have a new album. They'd only play a few songs just because the audience didn't know. And they'd be like, all right, old song, old song. And so we got into a pattern of doing that. But then as time went on, you know, fans are changing. Fans are some fans are getting younger. And we start drawing like a, a younger fan base, not the same. So it's like really spread out. 
um, and we had had so many years of putting out albums, it, it totally changed where they were like, you should really play more new songs, more songs from your time period, actually, getting more requests for things like that. And then we started changing our set lists, you know, and, and, and then I, I definitely noticed the change playing those songs from the first album, whatever, they get a fantastic response. You know, it's like really overwhelming. I'm like, wow, it's, it's a, you know, revamping the song for me because I was like, fuck, I don't ever remember playing the song and having that reaction. So it's like really reinvigorating and, uh, and, and it's great. So now we play, on the last tours, we played a lot of new songs and that's the way that we like to do it now. You know, it just makes more sense. You know, if you're a true fan, you want to hear new songs. So when I go to a show and see a band, I'm like, I want to hear their new shit, you know? Like, I want to hear the thing that I've been listening over and over yeah. and over again, preparing myself. And so we play six uh, to seven songs, new songs in the set. Um, we were doing that on the last tour, and we'll do that on this tour. And, it, and, and that's what people are requesting, you know? And then when we do do those older, older songs, we start just night and day. But that's a good question. Yeah, it would take halfway through the set. And by the end of the set, then we'd have the, the class. You know, but that that took some time. You know, it really took some serious work. <laughs> That's great. I love hearing that with the new material. That makes me feel good too. It's like, yeah, it's still a it's honestly still a struggle here and there with Kill Switch. You know, because some guys in the band want to stick to what they know their audience is going to immediately like. Right. But there was right, a shift. Right. I mean, you had I remember doing meet and greets, and some of the younger fans were like we got into you on the record you were on like the the, exactly. the the fourth record in like why are there not more songs and it was like it was we started to see that and that's when you know your career is doing okay when you got a younger generation and that want totally. shit that that really shifted shit for me so it's really nice to hear oh, that especially no, with no, a no. legacy band like sepulter it's like so and your new shit is fucking fire so it's really nice oh, to hear you, that the fans I are think, uh, you know Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it also helped with uh, Eloy Casagrande, our drummer that we have now. You know, when we made that shift and he joined three albums back, we, it was really changing up. You know, that was like an, an overdrive of bringing a lot of younger fans just like, yo, because he's so much younger than us. Um, and he's just so, so insanely good um, and so passionate about what he does. So. I think that also helped bridge again and also drew a lot of older people like, damn, that kid can play, you know? And so it brought our, our game up as well as creativity and things that we could do, you know, having a drummer that truly loves to play metal, you know, it's always challenging themselves and, and having that energy and that discipline, you know, it really ignited a fire in us as well. So, it, you know, it drew, it, it's just a great combination. Um, and, and it definitely, I've noticed playing new songs, it's just so much easier. You know, it's, it's, it's I, I definitely noticed that's changed as well. So I love playing new songs. It's also challenges us, you know, it's really, I, I've heard old footage of bands like Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath, they're like, oh, this is a, this is a new song called Paranoid. You know, you're just like, ah, hey. and then you hear at the end, like people like, you know, all the bands have to go through it, you know, and you could be playing like, you know, your, your classic song or whatever, but it, it's, it, I think it's important to play new songs, you know, people to see you as what you're doing currently, you know, just keeping that, that, that vibe is, I think, super important. 
Yeah, well, otherwise you're just a nostalgia act, aren't you? And like yeah, the, the songs right, have totally. to be played to become hits. Otherwise, it's just going to sit there yeah, and gather dust. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. And there's still certain things. I mean, Jesse, I don't know. Are there songs that you want to play live that you've never played live? Oh, yeah. A lot. A lot of <laughs> A lot, right? Yeah, but I'm one of five, and uh, the other four dudes are pretty, uh, yeah, of course, pretty yeah. difficult to, uh, to persuade to do that song that's not so popular I and you're right i'm the same way i'm like well it could be <laughs> it's a good song <laughs> right yeah. yeah we'll never know <laughs> yeah it's it's give and take though because you have to find a common ground yeah. with your fellow bandmates so yeah it's been I mean, that, have you ever felt like you played a song you're like that song just does not go well live yeah yeah it's unfortunately though because some of those songs i still love and we've only played them like two or three times and they get thrown out and it's like and then when my my thing is like let's try it again just give it another chance like some of these songs that we just don't play but you know i guess it's trial and error and it also depends where you are too because i've noticed i'm sure you've seen that too like you go to another part of the world that's true true. they love that that song and they're like play that song and like really that song then you play it and people know every single word you're like oh shit okay yeah 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 that's true i think you have to you know you definitely have to give the audience what they want at the same time you have to give you know you, you got to share what you got you know like things that you want to show you know so you gotta, it's a good balance that you have to try to find well it gives you something to push for too i feel like like, like yeah. Matt, nostalgia act to me i don't ever want to be that band yeah you know we no. played european festivals where that band will play their one hit and they'll play it twice. Like I've seen, it's like they played the beginning of the set and the end of the set and it's their walk on. It's like, come on, dude. I know. I know. I, mean, I get you're getting your paycheck, but it's a little embarrassing. I don't ever want to become that. And if, if we start becoming that, like I'm out. <laughs> Derek, let me ask you this, dude. Um, was it difficult when Igor left the band? Like for you, for you and the remaining members, was that a difficult time and transition as well? Because obviously, I guess you know, even oh, though yeah. even though Max had gone, Igor was still there. Right. Kind of like still the family right. is still there. Was that a difficult transition? And was it like a decade or so of you and him being together? Uh, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, when I joined, I was already just so chaotic, you know, because Max was like the front person. So that was like a lot of people had in their mind that he created everything. Temple Tour was his creation as a whole, and the band had gotten there solely because of that. I think a lot of press and people had that because he was doing a lot of press. He's a very charismatic person, so he, he took on that role. You know, and I, I think that's a lot of times people were seeing him as, you know, as like the face, which happens with a lot of bands, especially with the singer. So I think it was a little bit easier with Igor, um, but also difficult, extremely difficult because, A, I mean, I, I friends with Igor, you know, and he's one of the people that really got me charged when I was in the band, you know, getting me into the band, I believe. And um, and it was at a time where we're like, yes, we've been battling and working on a lot of stuff for album after album. But we're at an album now is Dante 21, and we got great artwork. We've got a great scene behind it, great songs, you know. And then it was just like, oh, I'm not going to go on tour. And it just like kind of like broke. I was just like, oh man, you know, this is really rough. And then it just ended up 
where we went on tour in flames and we had Roy Mayorga come and fill in, which was fantastic. Um, and then, I, I mean, Igor is just going through a lot of different changes with his relationship and just not wanting to be in the band anymore, not really wanting to do that style of music, I believe. And, but it just ended up where it just kind of separated as far as it was very difficult just because it was just kind of like over with that. And then people are like, oh, now it's definitely over. You know, like throw in the towel boys, you know, like there certain people are just like, yeah, game definitely over. And we didn't feel that way. I mean, as difficult as, as it was, we were just on this momentum. Like we just created, you know, something so incredible. You know, it's hard to throw it away when you feel that you're evolving. You know, like, oh, I'm, I'm doing stuff better than we've ever done. You know, like, let's keep this going so we continue onward. But it, I remember it being difficult, but not as difficult, I think, for those guys when, when Max left. Because they got a lot of the questions from the media, like, so how does it feel since Max wrote this album? Da, 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 da. And then they'd be like, yo, I play drums. Yo, I play lead guitar. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it, it, it was never like that. Those guys wrote together, you know, as a whole. Um, and, and so it, it was just like, really, I think I could feel that, you know, kind of like, you guys don't know what you're talking about, like being in, you know, certain situations with the press with them. Um, but seeing that transition as far as like with Igor leaving, it was like, oh man, that's, but let's continue onward. You know, it's hard, but let's continue onward. And again, we had a lot of support still people believing in us and, um, we moved on to John Della Bella. And it was again a growing process, getting used to him, going through an album cycle where it's like people are like, hmm, it's okay. It's all right. You know, it kind of went from that to like a dip again. And then with the sophomore album with Gian Della Bella, it was like, and joining Nuclear Blast, having a solid label. Then we started to notice a change again, like a rebirth, like, oh, okay. This is bringing my interest for people like in the critics and fans and going out and playing new songs. Like people are like, yeah, I know this song. Like this is really getting back up there. And then I was like, okay, here we go. And then Gian was like, I'm out. After like that whole tour, I was like, no, no. Like we're just getting back again into this groove. Of, and, and, you know, and then starting that whole process again with Eloy. Um, but again, having such a great label, Nuclear Blast, that helped because they were always supportive. And so um, with Mediator, uh, the album, the first album we did with uh, Eloy, it was a, a great response, you know. Um, Is that I the think one Russ Robinson been a, produced as well? Right, right. And it was really dirty. Like we were really raw and like angry and it was like a really filthy album, I want to say, in a way that I, I love it for that. And um, I think it was just good timing. Like it brought a lot of interest for people like, okay, this is something entirely unexpected and and it drew people's interest like i want to see where this goes yeah. this drummer is sick the songs have definitely gotten have changed up from those other you know other you know the past albums and then with the machine messiah just um i i really wanted to have a different producer not as dirty and things i wanted to have like an opposite of clean you could really hear um a lot of stuff vocally is why I was really wanted to, to work with this producer, clean vocals in a powerful way. So that's 
when we decided to go with Jens Bogren and and a lot of just changes happened then, you know, like it just everything really changed. Like we I think we really grew into ourselves. We became more confident and um we were able to to focus I think dig deeper into ourselves to try to produce something um that we've never done before and not be afraid of that. So first track on like to say machine messiah they everyone decided like this should be the first track i was like yeah it's like i'm singing like you know harmonizing and stuff i was like i don't know if metal fans are gonna be into this you know i think they're gonna be like oh this what the fuck you know what happened you know now it's gone you know but it was completely the opposite reaction that happened and I'm so happy that, you know, I think a lot of people just read into it, like, this is an evolution of the band. This is something I wasn't expecting again to hear. Something that I always loved about Sepultura is like, even before I was in the band, that each album has a very unique sound. And I, I felt that we're able to continue that with each album that I've done with the band. And, 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 and it just drew a lot of people into it. Like, oh my God, that first song, Woo! it ended up being like, a lot of people's favorite song. I was like, no. I was like, God damn, I had no idea that it would have that reaction. It just, then it just started, everything just started changing. I was like, oh man, like the tours, the shows, just everything getting better. Um, the confidence of just like everyone. Uh, oh no. <laughs> we did so well. <laughs> so well. I reckon we'll get him back. We prayed earlier. I think it's yeah. Great. We prayed to the internet gods. Bring back Derek. Bring him back. What an amazing chat, though, right? Yeah, man. I mean, there's a lot, and I we didn't even touch on his uh, the highway to health stuff. I mean, there's so much we can talk to him about, and I love his energy and his spirit, and hearing hearing his story and his positivity just emanates through the whole thing. It's awesome. I love it. Look, he's for those who can't see, Derek looks like he's holding a, a cantaloupe or a skull in his hand. It's, it's a very metal photo minus the palm trees in the background. It's a very frontman pose, isn't it? Oh, we lost him. He's logged off, but he might come back on. If he does, we'll definitely ask him about Highway to Health. Yeah. Because that's kind of like our dream, isn't it? Is to do a kind of like travel person cooking perhaps not so much on the food element with ours but certainly you can see the bourdain influence in that concept that he's got going on um, yeah i watched the trailer earlier on their website it looks really fun um and yeah what what a great dude barrel yeah. of laughs i know it's, it's really interesting to hear his perspective on the whole band thing as well i can relate to a degree well, what I didn't quite appreciate or realize before is being in a band like Sepultura, as he said, has obviously opened so many doors for them in places where perhaps American bands wouldn't have been invited or been as, you know, openly welcomed with open arms. Um, and I think because of that Brazilian South American heritage, you know, places like Cuba, um, yeah. I'm sure they've been all over the world to other places where perhaps Americans perhaps either wouldn't have gone or wouldn't have been invited to go. And have experienced like a whole new level of fandom and rabid appreciation for metal in places where perhaps you know it hasn't traditionally been played yeah i wonder if they were the because i know agnostic front were the first u.s band to go to cuba years ago a couple of years ago i wonder what time frame yeah roger i was going to say what a strange choice but yeah best singer's cuban yeah, yeah. So I just what? messaged him where, that to Derek, we're still here. So we'll see. He is. If... He's back. He's back. Oh, he's is. Back. He's yeah. back. I love it. All right. So let's see if uh, his Wi-Fi. 
I don't know what's been happening to us recently, though. I just no luck, is it? Lately. Nick, Nick's, we had to cut short. Yeah. Hold on, guys. Can you hear me? We got yeah. you, dude. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hold on a second. I'm, uh, geez. Oh, God. I had to, my don't, phone. Don't you worry. We keep all this stuff in anyway. It's, okay. It's very loose, this it, show. My phone overheated. <laughs> oh, is that <laughs> what happened? It completely <laughs> shut off. Hold on. Let me find my video. Start Why, you weren't kidding. Funny. It is hot there if that happened. Yeah, it was so hot. It was just like, boop. Temperature, like. <laughs> well, this is nice. This is a nice view. You've changed, obviously, from outdoors to indoors again for the benefit yeah. of listening. Um, dude, you're in the middle of saying something really cool. You were literally kind I... of like freeze frame. <laughs> I, I know. I was like, I was just like preaching. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I don't remember now. I was like running down like the steps, like oh my god, like opening up the door, like let me get back in. Well, <laughs> selfishly, I wanted to. I wanted to transition anyway, so this is probably a good yeah, time cool. to do it um uh highway to health the the so we started out we're talking about health and we got into the music which was super fascinating and a lot of things that i wanted to know I, I got to know but when did when did this whole when did you decide first of all that you wanted to make you know health something that you were working towards and when did you meet your partner like how did that all come yeah. about okay um i guess before the pandemic a year a few years before and i'm probably about a year year before um i just moving to la i i started watching i don't know a lot of like different programs travel shows and things like that and they're always going to these incredible places you learn about the culture and everything and then but they're always like killing some animal in some exotic place and i was like damn did they really need to do that you know and a lot of money eating at these fancy places like oh it's just kind of like bumming me out i was like oh growl you know you went there to eat like koala balls you know, just like, it's like, oh, like really. You, are, like, you is... are right, though. Often international travel does involve, you know, eating meat, right? And and you you never yeah, see that show all, where all it's like, time. let's go travel and, and eat, you know, plant-based right. <laughs> murder-free meals. And, and, and kind of like, and kind of let people know about the, you know, the benefits of that, you know, just really um, something I, I had. No, no, you no. know, from traveling around, we're always around a lot of. Oh, what's up? No, you froze again. No, no, it's, yeah, we got this. Oh, we got this. Okay, keep going. Um, <laughs> traveling around, <laughs> but traveling around, you know, we meet a lot of very interesting people and um, and go to a lot of incredible places, and we just wanted to show that. So when I moved to LA, Tanya had the same idea. Tanya O'Callaghan is a co-host, and she's from Ireland, straight from Ireland, from a small village called Malingar. That's my Irish accent. To, to be good. honest, mate, that's not bad. I've heard a lot worse. <laughs> yes, I knew it. Because I, I was hanging around a lot of, you know, Irish people there. So, and I, and I kept doing it. They're just like, you know, it's it's getting a bit annoying. You know, you, you need to stop really? with it. Nah. No, nah. <laughs> I was like, it never gets old. There. And then I started speaking like my Pirish. Like, you sometimes, you sometimes sound like, like yeah. a pirate. Yeah. You get mixed up and sometimes you make an accent. But uh, but it all, we, we had the same idea. And so we decided to, you know, merge. She's a musician as well, right? She's a touring She's a musician. badass bass player. She played um, with a long time with Steven Adler from Guns N' Roses, um, with Dee Schneider. She was touring with him. She, she's amazing. She's an amazing bass player. She's, she's awesome. And, and she's an activist. So it was a great combination, you know, to, to team up. 
and to really go to, to so many cool places that people may question about. Like, I love Sea Shepherd, and I always wanted to know, like, what is it that they're doing on the mission? Where does this money go, like, when you are buying a certain product, and how does that interact with helping out this organization? And so it was great that we were invited to go on the Sea Shepherd mission in Mexico and, and, and be on board two of their vessels and go on a mission with them and see what they do and talk to the international crew. And, and they have a completely vegan uh, kitchen there. And it was, it was, I learned so much. And I think people will get a lot out of it, you know, because we just really broke it down. Like these people are volunteering, giving up half of their, you know, year, if not more of their life to, to, for this cause of preserving the ocean and, and, and wildlife that's in it. Um, did did and you I, film all of this pre-pandemic? When was the filming? Yeah, this is pre-pandemic, like all of this, like right before it happened, actually. Like the last thing that we filmed was Nam, um, and it was with uh, Dime Bash. Uh, and right, I you're talking about the guitar show, not Vietnam. Not Vietnam, Nam. <laughs> Back in the Nam. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking about Anaheim, Nam. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's where... And so uh, they have Dime Bash every year, and I've never done that. And Tanya had done it before. So um, we played on stage together with a bunch of amazing musicians. Dave Grohl came out and did Roots with us, and uh, along with, like, every amazing artist there. And, um, and that was the last thing that we filmed. Um, so we had a lot of time to go through the edit, edit everything pretty much, um, which ends up being about eight episodes, you know. I mean, we did the, you know, Sea Shepherd. We went on the Kiss Cruise because Tanya played with Steven Adler, who was on the Kiss Cruise. So we're going to the Caribbean. We went to Brazil. Um, it's a big two-part episode. We went to Ireland to show where Tanya comes from, how she got into that whole lifestyle. We went to Cleveland to show where my background. And I mean... It was amazing. We got to go to so many places. We interviewed Moby, Kat Von D, um, Kevin Smith. And I think, you know, we have so many more ideas because this first time shooting, we've never done anything like this. And so we learned so much from it and we're prepared for a second season, but we have to sell this. That's where we're at now. That was like, going to be my park. question because me and Jesse really want to take this show on the road without giving yeah. too much away. How did you film it? Did you like just put up the money yourself to film it and now you're trying to sell it on or did you get a production company involved? How did you go okay. about the financing of it? Because it looks good question from the trailer that I've seen and the photos that I've seen and you know, places you've just explained that you've been, it looks like a, you know, a decent budget. Oh, yeah. I mean. The whole idea was on paper first, and we're going around to all these places and we're like, hey, check this out. And everyone was like, this is a great idea, but I don't think they could really imagine it because they'd never had that type of lifestyle. So it was hard for them to really envision it. And so we decided that we would get the money together ourselves. Um, so we went to a lot of uh, organizations that are trying to help plant-based projects and things like that. So they loved the idea. And so they were the ones like, we want to have it so it's, you know, it could be on Netflix, you know. Yeah. So they paid for, you know, the cameras and the and the travel and everything. And we had our own production team from Ireland, which is a couple. And um, and so it was just, you know, we were doing a lot of the production, which I had never done before. 
And I, and so what I learned was like, shit, I need to focus <laughs> next time on the hosting more. Um, but I think it turned out all right, but despite of that, but it was really a fun time. And I, I know that we can do so much more. And so we, after we got everything together, you know, we're able to shoot a lot of this stuff in, in, in really good quality. So I'm excited for it to come out. I, I know there's nothing like it yet, but we really need to sell it um, to a network, you know, and that's our goal. So everyone can see it, you know, it doesn't have to be a Netflix, it could be like a Hulu or a Vice or anything like that. And we can also combine with the production team that may exist already and try to put something together to put out, you know, we're totally open, but it's a challenge, you know, this is something I've never done before, um, working in especially TV. Um, and so I, you know, it's every day, you're like trying to get people interested in the trailer you can watch, you know, on YouTube, um, highway to health. And, uh, it really pulls people in. It really, I think I love the trailer and we worked on it. So, so much just to give people an idea of what they could expect from the, the show. I got to tell you, I'm super interested in that because I am a travel show addict. I've watched oh, awesome. all, of all of them, and I'm a huge Anthony Bourdain fan. And oh, yeah. uh, my girlfriend, who is is vegan and got got me to get healthy a couple of years ago, you know, she watches this stuff with me too. And there are so many times where she just gets sad and looks away. She can't watch the scenes where these animals are being oh, killed. Yeah. She's really affected by it. And I remember she was like, well, one day, man, there's got to be like a vegan show. There's got to. And I'm like, I didn't even put two and two together. And it's like, of course, <laughs> you guys have done it. It hasn't been done before. And, and I think you've got music in the mix as well. Yeah. And exactly. I think yeah. the climate is perfect for that. And I, I look forward to that because to me, you're, you're, you're reaching out to people that you know, it's a duality. I love the trauma. Right. And I think a lot of people have a lot of questions, you know, like we're going to break a lot of stereotypes and ask a lot of questions that people might have like, oh, it's super expensive to go plant-based, you know, but we're going to go to places yeah. where, where do you get your protein? Where do you get your, this? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the idea is to actually go to small, small places. You know, places that you wouldn't imagine would have something plant-based. It's not only going to the extravagant places like L.A. Of course, we have an, ep an episode in L.A. and we're able to go, you know, any corner and, and get vegan, you know, incredible vegan food. But we want to go to the places like the middle of the U.S., you know, like Kansas or Nebraska and be like, yeah, well, you can be plant-based here and eat well because you have like a lot of great produce and things like that and just show Um you know, break those stereotypes. I, I know a lot of people that are like, um, with like soul food and a lot of it is always like a lot of like chicken and unhealthy shit. And I just want to show that side of like, hey, it's especially important for people of color to really get off of those old traditional foods. You know, it's, it's time to change it up because those foods are killing, killing us, you know, <laughs> literally. And, and just really show in-depth stuff, like not afraid to tackle and say certain things, but also not only have vegans on. Like we had an MMA fighter, it's a friend of mine, Damian Maya, he's a badass in Brazil. And it's just about discipline, mind discipline as well. That's health, you know, that's healthy to be able to turn your phone off, keep it away, like he has certain hours where he's like proper sleep, water, and away from that fucking phone, you know, like, give it a rest, because that can mentally destroy your mind and, and your health. So 
we really tackle a lot of different topics, um, not only dealing with food, but food is the connector, you know, and getting people into talking and it's a great connector uh, for people all around the world and learning about traditions and giving that respect to those traditions. I love it. That's perfect. I can't wait for that, man. And yeah, for anyone listening, um, yeah. definitely check out that trailer and uh, yeah, I'll be waiting for that. I can't wait to see that shit for sure. No Dude, Derek, this is anyone just, listening that can help, yeah. No, right? <laughs> We're open to help. You know someone in TV and you got money, hit them up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story and your uh, your positive energy. It was a nice boost to my day-to-day. As I get ready to go back on the road, because like I said, I got one more day left before I leave. Woo-hoo. It was just I'm nice. excited to- for you. Like thank when I heard you. you talking about it, I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> Like you must, God, I can't only imagine what's going through your head. But I feel like this is a nice way to sort of like transition to that hearing about the road and hearing your history of, of Sepultura and all the bands and stuff. It really, it really filled me with some, some purpose in my heart. And the fact that we still get to do this at our age, you know, like older dudes getting healthy and changing our lives and (laughs) owning our, our, our state of mind. And like, I feel like that's, that's everything to me. You know, I'm, I'm 43. I'm not quite as old as you, but like, I feel better now than I did in my twenties, my thirties. And it looked great, man. (laughs) Thank you. Likewise, man. But it is, and and Matt and I have talked about this as well. Like when you take control of your life and you have that, like you said, discipline, right. That's that's everything. Learning how to fast, learning how to, you know, regulate your, um, alcohol intake. If you still drink, which I know you don't, but, um, all that stuff has played a huge role in, in changing and altering my life. And to hear you echo a lot of that same sentiment and you're just at some other level too with it. It just, it makes me proud and happy for you and just honored that you came on here and to talk about all of that. Uh, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. man. I really do. I yeah. mean, I, I love what you do and uh, I have a lot of respect for your podcast and I love chatting it up with you, man. It's always great talks with you. Great comments. Yeah, it's, it's never been a dull moment. Every time we hang out, it's just we go right into it. And it's and like, Matt, cool. Jesus, Matt, your questions. Woo. Oh, Matt's dope. Spot on. Spot yeah. on, my friend. Spot on, I say. I oh, hope to, I hope to you'll have to come on my show, Derek, sometime. You'll have to come and have a chat on my show. I do one on my own as well. I'd love to get That'd to know you some more on that. But, Only if yeah. I can able to talk like you this. gotta do the whole you gotta do the whole episode in the pirate axe yeah yeah I, absolutely oh, <laughs> do, like, that's right there governor right there lad right all right there mate <laughs> no, it's, it's been amazing dude and like one thing i was saying to jesse when your internet dipped out was like some of the experiences that being in sepultura must have afforded you in places around the world where you know perhaps american bands wouldn't have maybe gotten to go um or just like you know responses that perhaps because of where the band was originally from perhaps other bands from parts of the world would not experience like it must have been although you've been up against probably you know challenges along the way it must have been like the rewards as you sort of alluded to earlier have obviously far outweighed the hurdles right I think so. I mean, a lot of those places I feel that since we're able to go there, that I I can see other bands going there and I'm happy for that. I want to see that more because the people there would be so happy to to have as many bands come through as possible. But it's great because I want to document a lot of that, the places that we're able to go because they are very unique and special. Um, Like in 2019, for example, we did a lot of great shows in places that don't have shows ever. So we went to Mongolia 
um, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, you know, it was, it, it was insane, you know, and also all the way through Russia, you know, to the, to the far East coast of Russia. And so wow. just crazy, incredible experiences, great shows. Um, just the time, you know, it was just unbelievable, you know, it made up for any negative or bad things happening, just seeing those faces and meeting those people and having those experiences. But, um, it, it I, you know, I, I kind of see it like the movie that I really loved as a kid growing up was Highlander. I don't know yeah, if you yeah. remember that. And, I and just I, watched it two nights ago. Oh my God. It's Again, so good. The 50th time. Love it. Oh yeah. Soundtrack. The storyline is just fantastic. I was just fascinated how you, you know, you retain all the knowledge of your enemy, you know, after you beheading, I was like, that is so badass. Like these dudes must be super smart you know, and knowledgeable. And I feel that way with traveling, you know, you obtain that knowledge and it's just like, ah, you know, like powering up. And I feel that from going to these places and witnessing them for myself, not through a book, not through TV, not through the internet, you get an extremely different perspective, you know, like a mind-blowing different perspective. And I, be, I have become much more respectful of people in their environment. You know, like I can't always speak on something that somebody else is having you know, a completely different effect on that person because of their environment, you know, how they grow up and what they're dealing with. So, you know, you have people here that are dealing with like mass drama, like, oh, it's like, I'm not wearing that. I want my freedom. You know, this is freedom. And they're feeling very strong about that. Like, I don't, I shouldn't have to be forced to wear a mask. And I'm like, I, I, I hear you, you know, but then I also have like my fiance who lives in Belarus who has a dictator for over 20 years in power and they're beating people on the street for, you know, wearing a certain color for speaking something, can't put anything on social media, people disappearing. That's a reality, you know, to me that I'm just like, Hmm, it's hard to, you know, to, to match the two, you know, at certain times you're just like, Oh, it's just absurd, you know, like really, step back a little bit and, and, and take a big look at what's really going on and what's important in life and just be grateful. You know, I, I'm definitely super grateful for living here in the U S you know, I moved back and I'm like, man, I took a lot of shit for granted because it's hard, you know, <laughs> outside, you know, uh, the Western world, it's, it's people are, are, are going through some serious life, you know, and, and not to say that they aren't in the West, but it, it's intense, you know, you, you definitely hold back from complaining and stuff so much where I'm just like, you know, what, I'm just gonna be chill and be thankful for what I have. So yeah, I was having this conversation just the other day about how travel just changes everything for you. Everything. The way you see the world, the way your gratitude, gratitude was huge for me. You mm -hmm. know, pulling and I, I recommend it to anybody if you can have the means or to get out. Oh, yeah. Especially I think <laughs> I think it should be mandatory for schools where you have to live with another family from another place for like a certain like half a year or something. That experience of like foreign exchange is incredible at a young age. When you do that, you see the world entirely differently. You know, you I, and if you get like great families that are doing that back and forth at a young age, then I think it opens the mind to people where they're not so ignorant, you know. I mean, there's still people I know that have done that foreign exchange program as kids, and they're still friends with the family. You know, it's it's incredible. So I think that works wonders. You know, to get 
people, you know, especially kids, you know, their, their mindset to, to open to the different things that are happening around the world, you know? Yeah. I think we'd have a lot less racism and classism. Oh yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, what brought that to my attention was when I was like seven or six, we had a foreign exchange student stay with her and her name was Denise. And, um, and where I lived at that time, my parents lived, it was in an all black community, like in Cleveland, like inner city. And she had to go to school with my sister. who was like 16 or whatever. And so she was like the only white person there, you know, she's from Chile, but she was just so happy and everyone like loved her. You know, I fell in love with her. I was like, oh my God, Denise, she's so cool. And she was like, yes, I'm going to the American school today. And you know, it's just like, yo, what's up? How you doing, man? Like, be my like, yo, Denise, I was, yo, cracking, you know? Like, it's just straight up like inner city school. And, and she's just loving like life. Like, this is so different from where I'm from. And just like taking it all in. And they loved her for her just like open-mindedness and just her, her, her realness. You know, but it was never a problem for being there. But it just, I just remember how cool it was having that, even that person in my house, like, wow, she even smells different, you know, like people in Chile smell. (laughs) (laughs) Just like all those little things, you know, it's just like, this is so cool, you know, and yeah, foreign exchange programs. I love hearing those stories that people have. We back it. Cultural exchange and the exchange of information and knowledge. It can only help us all grow, can't it? absolutely yep Derek, you're the man this has been awesome dude thank you so much uh thank you guys thank you for having me yeah thanks for taking the time bro i'm glad it worked out and uh yes (laughs) best best of luck to everything for you moving forward i'm I'm gonna keep my eyes on you man i I, i'm definitely uh the best to you on tour man thank you stay safe out there and i i want to see you in la man yeah, man. We'll see what happens. I mean, LA is the last show where I can actually probably see, actually probably see people after because. Oh, that's right. Yeah, not, but I want to see the show. As yeah, well. they're not letting us mingle with anybody. Like the whole tour is going to be on like really strict quarantine. So yeah, I think LA, that's every tour now. It's like that. Yeah. LA would be the one though where we're let loose and we can actually because we've got time to like you know. Oh yeah, it's the end. So we'll that's see what true. happens. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, fuck it. all right dude much love right. much respect take care of yourself and keep all that right guys on, let me bro. let me know when i can post this man oh yeah i'll help you out okay <laughs> hell yeah cheers Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.